This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. We truly are blessed to live in the day and age that we do. Not only in the, the 21st century, yes, there are a bunch of great things that come with that, but more particularly, we live this side of the cross. That's a tremendous blessing. It, it's, it's not something that I think that we should take for granted, and I think we do way too often. We forget that we live this side of the cross, and we know what God has actually done for the church through Jesus Christ and the, the immensity of what it is that he has provided. He provided himself. God himself came, and he came on a rescue mission that we might be reconciled again to him. Now, he spoke about these things. He pointed forward to them in the Old Testament. He, he told that these things were going to take place. And he started to prepare, particularly Israel, for them to take place. And they were blessed as well. But we are so much more. It might be tempting as we look through the Old Testament and we see all of the things that God did, the, the rescue through the Red Sea, the actually the, the coming in such a way, a tangible way as, as to reveal his presence to Israel. Now they were able to see his hindquarters. It's interesting that Moses was not even actually able to look on his face though. We might think of the manna that falls from heaven or the tablets of stone that God himself wrote upon and, and gave Israel the instructions about how it is that they were to live as sinful people in the presence of a holy God. Impressive. But we have something so much more. We have Jesus. We know his name. God with us, our Emmanuel, come to us. Jesus, the representative of God, the great prophet, God himself, and the Redeemer of mankind. The Old Covenant was ministered through angels. This is a tradition, but it was also something that seemed to be true, that, that the way in which God would minister to these Old Testament saints, he would do through the ministry of angels. And if we had an angel standing before us this morning, I bet we'd be pretty impressed, and a much more impressive figure than me. But our covenant isn't one that was ministered to us through angels, but by Jesus. This is the point of the author of Hebrews here, that we should not neglect such a great salvation. We shouldn't neglect it. We shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't think light thoughts or small thoughts about what it is that God has done, because the covenant that we exist in today, the time that we exist in today, is, is better not just because the work that God has done is better, more complete, but because of the one through whom that ministry is mediated. Not through angels, but through Jesus. Let's have a look at our text. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And this is one of the temptations of that age, as, as this author sat and he wrote this, this work, he knew that there was a particular temptation uh, to those who he was writing to, to, to perhaps 
uh, drift away or to neglect the, the new works it is that God had done. He'd done a new work here, a new covenant, a better covenant. It was more convenient, though, to actually rely upon the old works that God had done. The New Testament church didn't actually have uh, any sort of protection under the Roman rule, but the, but the Jews did, the Hebrews did. They had a right to practice their religion without being accosted by the Romans. It seems like there were people within this particular day and age, within this particular Hebrew church, who were trying to have a bet both ways. They wanted to have, they wanted to have Jesus, yes, we'll have Jesus, but, but we also want to keep our, our nice, comfortable life under this Old Testament covenant. We want to be able to have those sort of tangible things as well. Now, our temptations might not be the same. We're not living under a day and age where it's difficult for us to gather, where our governments are trying to destroy us, they're trying to persecute us, they're trying to, they're trying to jail us. That's not our problem. But it begs the question, what might come along in our life in this day and age that would cause us to neglect such a great salvation? Now, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys have actually turned up to church on the, on the 25th of December, something that's regularly set aside for other things. So I know that I'm preaching to the choir. But we should be careful. We should take these warning passages for real. We want to be careful that we do not drift away from all that it is that God has done for us in Christ and go looking for some other thing to satisfy. Verse 2, it talks about that since, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression for disobedience received a just, a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is that statement about who is the mediator of this new covenant. The Old Testament saints, they had angels come and they mediated. Great. But the author of Hebrews here is saying it's, it's not angels, it's Christ. This salvation is, is, is more, God has done more here. And so he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Within the, within the lesser, God mediated through angels. And even there in that lesser, there was a just retribution. There was a just judgment against those who neglected the salvation of God, who didn't take it seriously. He's, like, so he's saying if, if, that's, if that's the reality for the lesser, it's going to be true for the greater. God has done so much more. Yes, he sent Jesus Christ as Lord, as a little babe who grew up and became the greatest man that has ever walked the earth. But he didn't stop there. It wasn't only that. God bore witness to everything that Jesus had done. This is what the signs and the miracles took so much time to do. Jesus' primary task was to come and reveal the Father and to die a death upon a cross but he demonstrated that this was his ministry, a unique ministry, by fulfilling so many things that would be said about him. Those signposts that pointed forward in the Old Testament and said, there's going to come a one who's going to do something so much greater than even Moses. 
And then when Jesus started to walk the earth and he began to open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf, when he began to, to minister to the poor and to the neglected, when he began to break bread, little amounts of bread, and distribute it among them and walk upon the waves of the water, doing things that only God could do, these works attested to the uniqueness and the significance of Jesus Christ. And only it doesn't stop there. The, the author of Hebrews goes on more. He's like, he also provided the Holy Spirit. Angels are nothing compared to this. He provides the Holy Spirit who, who then also comes as, as, as this witness of God. Jesus calls him another paraclete, another helper, who would come and he would make God known. He would reveal God to us and he would make us to be born again. And that he would give those people of God <coughs> each particular gifts as a sure sign of what it is that God said that he would do. Paul in Acts, sorry, in, in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, talks about the fact that the, the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a guarantee of a future inheritance. And so, this is why it's so much more. These people who are, who are being written to here this, within this Hebrew church, it seems like every one of them could have, could have said amen to everything that's just been said here. It's true. Jesus is so much more. He's so much better. God came himself. It's true that we heard about all of the great things that Jesus did by those who were eyewitnesses. Not just one eyewitness or two eyewitnesses, a myriad, 12 immediate people, 500 in a greater number. We've heard it. We've heard this, those who, who had seen it. And we've experienced the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine then like, the, the wealth here, the wealth that's given to the church it's so much more than it was. And like, we, we, could, we could imagine what it is to have somebody come to us and fill our bank accounts when we can barely eat, provide us a place to sleep, warm clothes, a warm bed, as a display of the fact that not only are they going to love in word, but they're going to love in deed. And understand how shocking it would then be for us to neglect those things and to go back to our lives of poverty. To, to leave what it is that God had done actually within the work of Jesus is, is not to go to something richer. It might have felt that way for the immediate audience. Maybe they were having trouble trading and buying and selling and actually getting on with their lives of peace. Maybe it felt like the, the, the Jewish faith of the Old Testament had something more tangible. Offerings, a temple, blood, priests, things that you could see. It, it might have seemed like that, that to, to have Jesus on the side and step back over here was stepping back into some sort of riches that they were missing out upon. But the reality is they were leaving the wealth that had been provided for them and going back into poverty. They were going back into a system that was impossible to save. Jesus is the only one 
that actually makes it possible for God to save. And that's because we are so far from him. We have not lived up to what it is that God had destined for us. Humanity had a destiny. The world had a destiny. Humanity messed all of that up. Now, if you're going to think about angels and how much greater than angels are, you might understand then this next statement that comes. He says in verse 5, Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now, if you're going to think about the magnificent angels, and then you're going to think about humanity, if you were to put an angel and a man together, there would be no comparison in terms of ability, strength, wisdom, glory, stature. When angels rocked up on the scene in Scripture, the natural inclination of man was to worship, to recoil in fear. The angels would often have to say, don't fear, don't worship me. If you were God, and you were going to create this magnificent world, this wonderful universe with the billions of stars, and this wonderful ecosystem, who would you entrust it to? If you were going to say, I'm going to leave a particular caretaker, a vice regent, to look after all of this magnificence that I have created, would you leave a man or would you leave an angel? I'd leave an angel. But God is more infinitely wise than me. He left man. It was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come. Verse 6, it says it testifies somewhere. And we read where it testifies, thanks to Dan in our call to worship, out of Psalm 8. It's testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower. You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. There's a bit of debate about who the author of Hebrews is referring to here. In this particular point, is he referring to Jesus or is he referring to man? Now, I'm going to take a bet both ways on this because I can do that. The original text is talking about humanity. We have to think back. Who was it that God subjected the world to? Well, it was Adam. Adam was the vice regent. He was the one that God put in the midst of the garden and said, take dominion. Now, dominion is not destroy. Dominion is not control everything, use everything to a point where you wreck it. Dominion is care for it. Take responsibility for it. Make sure that things continue to function and run as I have intended for them to do. That's the job of dominion. We shouldn't be scared of power. We should be scared of power when it is ill-used. And that is what has happened. That power was ill-used. And so in this original context, it's man. And it's a fair question. What is man that God is mindful of us? What are we? Compared to God, we are nothing. A speck. Often the Bible talks about us as here today and God tomorrow. A mist, a vapor. 
grass blowing in the wind. That's a fair assumption. Here for 70, 80, 90 years, we'll have our little contribution and then we are gone. And so what is it of man that, we are, that God is mindful of us? The only thing that gives us value, and this is extraordinarily important, is that we are made in God's image. God set out from the beginning in the creation of humanity that, that humanity would be important to God, that God would be mindful of them. And he did so by imprinting upon them the image of God, <coughs> allowing us to represent him. And so in this immediate, we see that God is thinking of humanity. It says, now I'm putting everything in subjection to him. He left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Again, there's two ways to think about this. And I'm going to look at the other in a moment because I think that's important. First is to say, well, if God put everything in the domain of humanity. If God said, humanity, take control. Adam, take control. You look after it. You're the governor. Why do we not see everything in the dominion of humanity? <coughs> and we don't, do we? There are wars, there are famines, there are earthquakes, there are disasters, there are diseases, there is COVID. We don't see everything in subjection to humanity. Why? We have cancer, we have suffering, we have worms that eat the eyes out of babies. Why don't we see humanity in control? The answer is sin. Humanity itself threw the entire world into chaos. It's us. It's sin that has separated us from God and destroyed the world around us. C.S. Lewis once said that when we think about sin, we think about suffering, we have to think about the personal aspect of us. It might be easy for us to say, why doesn't God deal with suffering? He says, but you have to remember that for God to deal with suffering, he must deal with sin. And sin is not something that is out there. It's not something remote from us. Sin is something that's within here. And for God to deal with sin, he then must for deal with us. If you think about this, tigers, giraffes, cats of any sort, dogs, worms, Viruses, bacteria, none of these things sin. But rather, they act in accordance to the way in which God has actually created and intended for them to do so. We sin. The problem with the world, the problem that, that, that means that the world is not actually any longer in subjection to us as God actually intended, is us. So what is God to do? Well, verse 9 then seems to reapply this text to Jesus. 
It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now we think about then this text in relation to Jesus. What is man? What is the, the son of man that you care for him? Well, that's a very different answer, isn't it? If you think about man, if you think about humanity, the answer of that question is, what is man, what is son of man that you are mindful of him? Well, that's quite extraordinary. But when you put that in the context of Jesus being the son of man, the answer is different. Well, well who is the son of man that you are mindful of him? Well, it's Jesus Christ. He is the eternal God. He is the one who has actually come and he has taken upon our flesh. He's taken upon our condition. This is how God was so determined that he would deal with suffering and deal with sin. He wouldn't do so from a place of abstraction. He wouldn't be far off. Rather, he would come into our state. He would take on our flesh. He would take on our suffering and the sufferings of this world in order to actually deal with it. He would be the one who would come along and he would say, humanity lost dominion because of sin. Now, I'm going to take control. Everyone else that God put in that place failed, but not Jesus. Jesus succeeded where everybody else fails, including me, including you. And so now with Jesus, who was made for the world lower than the angels, he is now crowned with glory and honor. But not in the way in which most people are crowned with glory and honor. Most people are crowned in glory and honor because they do something uh, spectacular. They win the 100 meters by running it in under 10 seconds. Uh, they, they win some great human battle. Jesus did it through suffering. That was what it would take. That God would actually have to come in, take on suffering and serve humanity in this way. He won a victory by losing. He went up by going down. Except it was no loss at all. What we see upon the suffering lamb, that, that which is, was slain before the foundation of the world, what we see there is, is a double picture, a suffering lamb and a victorious lion. He is the all-conquering one. And even when it looked like failure, it was victory. I think it's interesting that he has to add this, that, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That was the point. The little baby that you see depicted in a manger in a feeding trough, why did he come? Why did God do that? It comes down to that. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He would have to experience everything that we did. That's love. We're not talking about a God who wants to destroy humanity. We're not talking about a God who is spiteful, vengeful. But nor are we talking about a God who is not concerned with justice. 
We're talking about a God who would go so far as to come into our world in order to provide a just judgment for what it is that we had done as men, as women, as humanity to ruin what God had given us. In order that by the grace of God, this just simply means that it's not according to anything that you would do. God's not saying, you know what, before, before you get the benefit, I want you to do this. Rather, he says, I've done it. I've done it in Jesus. Jesus has done everything that's necessary. And now you can come without money, without price, and receive what it is that Jesus has completed. How? How do we receive it? The answer to that question is by faith. By trust. This is our connection to Jesus, that through faith we might be saved. And Jesus is a perfect saviour. This is why you need do nothing more. Jesus is perfect. You can't be more perfect. He is perfect. Perfect is perfect. Have a look at verse 10. It says that it was fitting that he who and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. God took the initiative. He is the one for whom all things exist and whom things exist for. For God. And he made our saviour, the founder of our salvation, perfect through suffering. This doesn't mean that Jesus himself had ever done anything wrong. Jesus never has to atone for his own sins. He doesn't have to make up for any, anything that he has done wrong. He would have to be a spotless lamb, a perfect saviour. But here the author of Hebrews is pointing out that he has become the perfect saviour through suffering as well. That there would be something, if Jesus never suffered, there would be something that was lacking. Because somebody had to pay the price for sin. But Jesus has done it. He is the perfect founder of our salvation. He is the perfect one of God. He is the spotless lamb without wrinkle. He is the almighty, all-victorious one who has been crowned with glory and honor. He's done everything necessary for salvation. It's been provided for free, without cost, for anybody who will take it. This is the greatest gift of all. This is actually why we give gifts. We give gifts on Christmas Day as a, as a reminder on, on this time of year that actually we're doing something that God started. God gave the greatest gift of all in Jesus. And it's received by faith. It's received by trusting. Can you trust that Jesus has actually done everything necessary for you to be saved? 
If you were to stand before God right now, would you be able to say, you know what, God, I have nothing else to cling to but Jesus Christ. I trust that these things are true. I trust that Jesus has actually done enough and, and I can't cling to anything else. Do you see the need? Do you see the need to cling to Jesus Christ? Or, or do you think that you're going to be okay on your own? Do you think that it's quite all right to go about living your life as the Lord of your own life, as you have determined? Or can you see how that has actually been the ruin of humanity? The true ruin of humanity is that each one of us, starting from Adam and starting with Eve, took upon ourselves something that didn't belong to us. We were God's vice regents. We weren't independent kings and queens. We were there to represent God in his image. And so if you think that you're going to be okay without Jesus, if you think that humanity has no need of a saviour, or that you have no need of a saviour, I see no reason why you could complain about the things that are done wrong by humanity in this world. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. We must cling to him in faith and trust that he and he alone can do that which is necessary to set us right with God. If there was another way, Jesus would not have had to come as that baby, that innocent baby, to leave the glory and the worship and the honour of angels. If there was another way, he wouldn't have had to have left that and come to us and taken on our weakness, come in as the form of a servant, live a life of often being despised and ridiculed and, and then ultimately to be rejected by all of humanity and then die upon a cross. If there was another way that humanity could be made right with God, Jesus would not have had to have done all of that. But you know what? He did it. And he did it because of love. Love doesn't turn a blind eye, but love always offers a helping hand. And in the coming of Jesus, we see that God does not turn a blind eye to sin. We know that Jesus does not turn a blind eye to sin. But we also see that Jesus is the greatest hand offered to humanity, saying, come. Come back to God. Walk back, step back into the glory that God had intended. If you will but trust in Jesus, believe in him, repent of his sins, God will not be stingy. For free, without price, he will give you all of this. Right relationship with God is more important than anything else because at the end of the day, everything else in this world will fade. Here today, gone tomorrow. What it is that you do with Jesus Christ will last for eternity. 
So Jesus is our King. He is the one to whom all honour rightly belongs. All glory rightly belongs. We shouldn't think of Jesus only as the little baby. It's a great day. It's a great day to celebrate. It's a great day to enjoy our time with family and friends and with the church and to eat and to give and receive gifts. But Jesus didn't stay a babe. He is now king. And he rightly deserves your allegiance. Let's pray. Lord God, we lift up praise to your name for all that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that you, by your grace, have offered such a great salvation. Help us, Lord, not to neglect it, but to take it seriously, to live our lives in light of it. And Lord, I ask for all those who are struggling and questioning with the questions surrounding Jesus. I pray, Lord, that these words would not only be mere words, but would be met with the confirmation of your spirit. Lord, that you would be the one who would do the work and would reveal. And Lord, and that we will be the ones who will do the loving. Help us, Lord, in this. In Jesus' name. Amen.